Absolute tall derby to me, uh, episode 41, joined today by uh, professional darts player Jamie Caven. I'm, uh, I'm very excited about this because uh, I'm a massive darts fan. Um, I follow it and um, it's despite working at, at Radio Derby and doing sports journalism for three and a half years now, I've never spoken to a darts player before. So this is, uh, Jamie, how are you? I'm all good, mate. All good. How's, how's lockdown treating you? I, I imagine as... Uh, being stuck in the house as a darts player, you can maybe get on the board as, as much as you can. You're probably playing some of your best darts, are you? <laughs> well, to be honest, it's it's pretty much how it's been for everybody. You know, everyone's limited to, to what they can do. It's not ideal playing at home. My board is up at home. But you just have to try and make do and work around it, don't you? So, uh, But saying that, it's given plenty of time to keep up with preparations and practice and stuff like that. So it's not been too much of a hindrance in that sense. We'll go right back. I always do this for the podcast. Go right back to how you how you first got started because you were, as a kid, a massive darts fan. And I know you, you, um, your dad was a, a big influence on you because he was a, a very good dart player as well. And I've always wondered, as a darts fan who's not very good at darts, how people get good at darts because I, as a kid, would never play. I played when I was older. So mm. you, you loved darts from a young age, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like you're not... It's the same as everything. You're not born with a set of darts in your hand or a ball at your feet or whatever your chosen sport is. You have to work and commitment and dedication is, is a massive thing. You have to make a lot of sacrifices. So, you know, certainly as a, through, through being a, a young lad and having the love for it then, you know, I've had it all my life really. It's not like I've sort of got the love for it in later, you know, later years sort of thing. So I've had, I've not had a lot of time to, to um, sort of progress and practice and get myself prepared. It's always been in, within my blood, really. But as I say, saying that, you still have to have the commitment and the passion and all that sort of thing anyway. So, you know, it's just about dedication and uh, doing as much of it as you can. And I suppose practice makes perfect. Who were your heroes growing up watching darts? And would it be the, the Bristows and, and yeah. darts? Yeah, Eric Eric was my, was my favourite, um, certainly as a young boy. Because um, he, he just had that thing about him, that aura, that swagger, and I think the players knew it as well. You know, how within within today's darting world, it'll obviously the kids will be Van Gogh in fans for that reason, or you know, in in sort of like in the past generation, it'd be Taylor because of that. You still have that that bit of it's it's, it's not arrogance. You you you've got that line between confidence and arrogance, and it's very very small. And if you stay on the right side of it, you're fine. I know Eric used to drift over that into the arrogant side quite a lot, but um, I think I think you need that because if you haven't got that self belief and probably that cocky little swagger, you need that to develop and you need that to perform at your best sometimes. And and famously, you you lost uh, the sight at a very young age before you started playing darts. And I've always wondered, as as someone who's followed your career, how that affects um, mm. you playing darts. But if it's being such a young age, you've never really known any different, really. No, that's right. It's like a lot of people make a big deal. Certainly when I uh, when I first went professional, uh, the press used to make a big deal of it. It was in all the papers, one-eyed, cycloptic dart player, this, that and the other. But like you say, you know, it's not like it's something I've had to readjust with or I've not, you know, I weren't a very good player, then lost the sight and then got it back, you know. It's, it's, it's what I've always known. So... It's a case of uh, playing with the hand you dealt with, really. Um, so I don't really know if I had sight in both eyes. Would I be any better? I don't know, because you can't really judge it. You can't really 
put it against what is now to as it used to be because it's always how it has been. Can you remember an age where you, you were playing and kind of, and thought, I'm quite good at this, this might be something I make a living out of or, or do very well at? Because I know you were playing, uh, I think, I've, I've read earlier, I think 13, you got an 85 average. Um, yeah. It, it, so was there an age where you thought, oh, I am, or beating adults and thinking I am, I'm pretty mm. good at it? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, because I played from such a young age, and when I say young age, I mean really like sort of four years old or so. I always had the love. I remember I was screaming in a pushchair at the fairground wanting to throw darts on a stool. That's how young I was. But obviously, realistically, to be able to play, I started off um, with a dartboard against the sofa, being so far back, just a couple of feet back and throwing darts. And then that went on to a chair in the in the passageway at home. For it, you know, as I grew, the the height and the length obviously altered then. But when I was thirteen, I played my first league game, and as you touched on, I averaged eighty-five. I think that's quite accurate because it, it was like the end of the season. Uh, the team was a man short, and um, it was a case of just filling the gap for someone that wasn't there. And I, I played brilliant. And I think I, I always had that belief that I could do well, that I could do well because I had so much love for it and so much passion for it. So. I thought, even if I don't, I'm still going to play anyway because I just love it that much. You know, the the money wasn't that big in you know in the in, in the days back then, but of course. But um, but now it's it's massive, and everyone wants a piece of the cake, don't they? But it's um, it's something that you know you you sort of live with it, and it, and it sort of it comes along. Is the more you play, the better you become. You diff- try different sort of equipment and you know do what's right for you. But I think from an early age, I, that's all I wanted to do was to to be able to do it as a, as a job, um, whether, whether I did or not, didn't bother me that much, but it was what I wanted to do. So I always had that desire to do well. And we touched on your, your dad being a, a brilliant darts player. How, how good was your dad? Uh, he was, yeah, to be fair, I mean, he, he wasn't like pro, semi-pro, anything like that. He, he played, um, he was in the pub a lot, as, as men were back then. Um, <laughs> played for, a couple of, uh, for the team a couple of three nights a week played Super League, he won the News of the World in house champion. So he was a decent level, you know. Um, and I got my love really by, he used to practice at home, he'd have a throw, not like hours on end, but he'd have a throw before he went out to play a match. And upstairs at my, at my parents' house where I was, you know, where I was brought up, there was a board for me dad on the, uh, the door and then I had one lower down and as I grew, the board was lifted up the wall, up the door, and you could see all the holes around as a group, become become a bit. It'd be nice to see what happened to that door, actually. But um, you worth some money yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, probably probably would be. Probably it would be. It's probably been burned or, or discarded somewhere. I'm sure this is a long while ago, thirty yeah. years ago, forty years ago, maybe. You say about your dad um, being in the pub and playing darts, and, and darts was very much seen when it first came on the scene as as what well, people were drink still drinking on on telly and smoking, and Bristow was like that. Have you seen a transition during the? The time you've played darts, that it's been probably taken more seriously as, as as a sport. I think because since Barry Hearn got involved with the PDC in two thousand and was it two thousand and it was early two thousand anyway, um, you could see straight away with the the financial benefits had really increased because um, they went from uh, the ranking system was a point system, which then developed into a prize money system because you could effectively have the richest dart player in the world, not being world number one. Uh, and Barry said, well, that's not how it should be. It should be on what, you know, you're as good as what you get paid. So, and that, that's true to a certain certain degree, I guess. 
so that's the main transition I've seen. There's a lot more professional players now, or there's a lot more semi-professional players that can still earn a few quid and work because there's money to be made right through the scale. And your first, well, your first notable win was probably the, the World Youth Masters. Um, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, 1993. Was that um, what was that like? What are your memories of, of doing that at the time? I remember it ever so well. Um, I was really confident going down because I remember it used to be shown on Eurosport or one of the you know one of the low sports channels on on satellite. Um, and I remember watching a couple of years previous how it was on there, and I didn't even I wasn't aware of the tournament at the time. And then getting involved with the county, I was obviously a Leicester lad back then, and I played for Leicestershire. Um, and, the, you know, I was pointed in the right direction of doing an entry for it and then playing in a, mid, a Midlands regional qualifier, which I won quite easy, to go down to the World Finals. And I, I really, really thought that I, there was no way I wasn't coming back with a trophy. It was really quite a weird a weird thing, really. I was 17 at the time. And in the September, in between the qualifier and the World Finals, I had the highest county average out of the men nationally which was a thing they did every month and I think I won 200 quid now we're talking 1993 200 quid was all right boosted my wages quite a bit <laughs> um it was only like a one one thing though but to win that you had to be of a good standard anyway um so that was all fresh in these kids that I were playing against some of them hadn't experienced county darts at senior level at that point and I'm I'm like up there with the best county players in the country and then all of a sudden people are like oh there's that lad you know you sort of like you get a target on your back but you have to sort of play to your, your advantages. Um, and that's what I did there. So from winning that, what's the journey from from winning that in 93 to turning to turning professional? Because like we like we touched on about, it, there's more professionals out there now. It would have been mm-hmm. harder in 1993 to, to obviously turn professional. Obviously, you're still working at the yeah. time. What was the journey into, into making it into the professional game? Um, well, it, it came about... By, by a bit of a, not an accident, but um, it certainly helped. What happened was between 93 and 2008 when I turned professional, so I'm talking 15 years, mm. um, I had a, an illness. I had to have my pancreas removed. I kept having blackouts and fits and things. I had to have my pancreas taken away. Um, and I couldn't walk unaided after that. There was no keyhole surgery then. I had it done in 1996. Uh, there was no keel surgery then, so I had to, I've got like a scar in the shape of an arc across from one side of my abdomen to the other. So obviously, all well, that was interfered with. I had to then get better and you know walk properly again after about two and a half, three years, I think it was, because um, I kept having like recurring problems with with things going on inside. So you know it was a slowed down process. But then when it came round to uh, the year before turning professional. I, there was a thing, Phil Taylor was sponsored by Worthington's Bitter at the time and he was doing this national thing where you played a competition locally and then you get your, your regional winners and then once you've got your regional winners, Taylor would come down to the, the final eight, he'd play off like the final eight would play off a, like a competition to become the master and everybody played against Phil as well. Well, this was held in, in Leicester at the time, two, that end of 2006 it was, November time. Um, and... Uh, I won the tournament quite easy and I beat Phil as well. Um, and with there being three, four hundred people in this room, I've never played in front of that many. I played county dots in front of a hundred, hundred and fifty people maximum before. At the World Juniors, I think there have probably been 
two to three hundred there, but I don't really remember that so much because I was only young, if you know what I mean, because I was so loose and free and not yeah. worrying about things like that. But in a, in a packed club of people who, who you know, and this is your chance, you know, it's a big thing. It's like I've done exhibitions all over the world over the last, you know, 10, 15 years or so. And you can tell the good local players because they're very nervous because they want to make, they want to prove a, a point to the local people. If they beat you, it's fine because you're going home. They're staying there. They've got to, they've got to face the uh, the backlash of everybody if they don't play very well. Well, I played Phil anyway and I beat him. And the, the best thing of it was my first sponsor, who became my first sponsor, was in the room on that night. I didn't know him at the time, but at the end of the night, Phil got the microphone and said, you know, the, the darts, is, Barry Owen's been in a couple of years now and it's going big and if ever, if ever there was a time to get involved, it would be now. And Jamie can obviously play. If anybody's got a few quid on helping with a bit of sponsorship, I would certainly suggest you do it. So somebody asked Phil, well, why don't you do it then? And Phil said, because he's going to be against me. He's not, you know what I mean? He's not. I'm not putting it in him to have a go. I don't want him against me taking my mantle, you know. So that's how that started. And within a few days, I had a sponsor for the following year from the January. So I joined the PDC. There was no Q school then. You just paid your entry and off you went. I was still at work. Uh, played in half a dozen events that year, qualified for the World Championship. And then that was it. From qualifying for the World Championship, I won my first match and became professional because I had, I think it was seven or £8,000 to be able to put into myself to have to give it a real go. And then from from that, I qualified for all the TV majors for the next few years. So it was, it was quite an easy transition in the end. We talk about the difference between playing uh, like juniors and then going up and playing in front of Phil in front of 300. So what's that like then walking out of the Ali Pali 2008 for your first World Championships? Uh, very nervy. Yeah, obviously, first time in front of TV cameras. And I remember I played Wes Newton. I think it was a Tuesday afternoon. So the, the crowd wasn't that big. There was a few hundred in there, but not like how it is now where every session sells out. So along with that, you have the cameras. When they move, you can hear them. You know, never mind seeing the move. You can yeah, actually hear the motor behind it, or that's how it was at the time. Um, and you, you're aware, you're on this massive stage and there's nowhere to hide. If you don't perform, you've got people watching from home. There's probably a million people watching you. And if you play rubbish, mate, you're going <laughs> to... It's not very good feeling. So uh, it was quite nice. I won, I won that match. That was my first match on TV. I won it three sets to nil. Um, never forget it. Um, played okay. Um £4,000 I was guaranteed if I was to lose. And I think I w it went from four to seven. And I played Wayne Model on the Saturday night. Now, Wayne was in the top five in the world at the time, top six. Everybody's favourite player, Wayne Model, And it was packed. Saturday night, we was on last. It was boiling. It was like, talk about one extreme to the other. It was like going out of a cold shower into a sauna, heat-wise. It was just incredible. And, um, yeah, it, was, it certainly was an eye-opener, let's put it that way. That's that's the ultimate, isn't it? Did you, did you get used to? Was it ten, ten years in a row you was at the Worlds? Yeah, ten ten consecutive years. Yeah, I think uh, to be honest, once you've experienced it that first time, you never forget it. I still get goosebumps thinking about it now, um, because it is such a different situation from from going to doing something you love to having the pressure, the weight of the world on your shoulders. Do you know what I mean? It's it's just it goes without saying sometimes, but. Um, it's such a different feeling. But then again, when, you, when you've got that pressure and you can win, oh my God, there's no feeling like it. Incredible. You'll have to correct me if I'm wrong. Was it the, the words when you missed double 12 for a nine daughter? 
because I'm doing this from memory as a darts fan. Yes, yeah, that's correct. Against Barney, wasn't it? I think it was 2000 and, when was it, 2014? That's like asking someone about what, like, maybe, not missing, because it's an amazing achievement, but what goes through your head when you're like, is it just adrenaline, you're just throwing your darts in? Yeah, yeah, you're just on it. I think if you, um, I, I think it'll be on YouTube somewhere, but the match itself, um, I was 2-1 down in sets and 2-0 down in legs. So, obviously, it's like, if he wins one of the next three legs, I'm, I'm I'm one set away from going home, and I think I went out in something like ten, fifteen, and twelve in that in them last three legs. But the the nine dollar, I just thought it was in every day before I'd even gone to the double twelve. I you know I was going to, I was going to be having a shot at it because I knew the two treble twenties were going in. So you just go with it, and I think it weren't far away. It was like a couple of millimeters, just a bit too high. But I was spending the cash at the time. I was thinking, well, I'm going to get 15 grand for this. Do you know what I mean? So I'd already half spent the money and, uh, yeah, the double never went in, but never mind. <laughs> it's funny because I watched it not long back and when you throw it, you do look just very, like, it's just very flowy. Like, you look confident. When you described it, then that's exactly how I remember watching it, where you just, it's just 20, 20 and, and then it's just, that, yeah, it looks like, even when you throw the, the double 12, mm. it, it looks... Yeah, there was no... There was no pause or anything because I, I just thought automatically, well, that, thanks very much. I was thinking about more about the celebration. What would I do? Dive off, probably crowd surf or something, probably. But I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, there's two things I always have wanted to ask dart players, and it's what it's like to, to get an adult or to come close like that because there's nothing like when you, as a darts fan, watching it when it's like, yes, yeah, because yeah. I've been to a couple of times. And, and, and where, does, where does your nickname come from, Jabba? That's that come from the when I had the operation. Yes. You know, I was telling you about the arc. Yeah. When I had my pancreas removed, it made me diabetic automatically. So we was in a, in Scotland a few years, well, a couple of years after that. Um, just amateur. It was um, a tournament up in Inverness and I was four, four one down in a tournament that was the best of nine. Um, first of five, four one down, getting hammered off the board. And one of my pals that I went with from Leicester, Dave Hayes, he just shouted, come on, Jabber. And it made me chuckle because I know where we're getting at because I have to jab myself, you see. It's the injection. <laughs> so I always, and I won the game. So I, we have a laugh and a joke about it even today. But I always said that if they, if they let me keep the name, if I do any good in the game, then I'll keep it. And they never said, you know, don't, you can't have that name because of whatever reason. So I always, I just kept it as Jabber. So... I mean, the times I speak to people now, and they'll go, "All right, jab." They won't call me Jamie or anything. It's just jab, no. right, jab, you know, pint jab, you know, that's all things. So. I always thought it was something to do with like jabber, Jamie, like some kind of like thing of being short for Jamie or like jabber, jabber. But it, uh, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot of people think it's because I'm fat and I look like him off Star Wars. <laughs> jabber. <laughs> so uh, I've got a I've got a greenhouse in the back garden, and Debbie's got me a plaque with Jabber's hut on it. It's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You mentioned your friends from Leicester. You're a Leicester lad, obviously. This is Talk Derby to me. We've made an exception because Thanks. you're Derby now. <laughs> I am, I am, mate. I can't, it can't be denied. Even when I go back to Leicester and all my old pals, you say even now, why do they say, like, when you're going on stage from Derby? And I'm like, well, that's where I'm facing Derby now. That's just the way it is. If I move somewhere else, then they'll say from there. You know, that's, that's just the way it is. It's where you're from, not where you were born. Yeah. How did you first come about coming coming and moving to Derby? Well, it was all through Debbie, really. I met Deb. Um, she was living 
in Derby anyway. And when we got together, um, I, I came over. We moved to Spondon. Oh, well, I moved to her house in Spondon. Uh, and that was where it started. We moved to Oakwood after that. And where else did we go? Bolton Moor, South Normanton. And we're in Ilkeston now. So, yeah, we moved four, four times. I can remember you in Oakwood seeing you in Bedford occasionally. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You've also got not when the darts is on though, because we're not allowed to bet on that. Well, no, obviously, no, no disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> You've also got your academy as well now, based based in Derby. How long has that been going? It's a fair few years now, because it's at Cubal, which is uh, quite. Yeah, two thousand and fourteen we started. So yeah, six years. Really? Is that is that something that was you've always wanted to do? Is that was that your idea? No, to be honest with you, it just came about by chance. I was doing a exhibition down in, I think it was Luton Way. Um, or we were staying in Luton. And Steve Brown, who is the the main man of all the academies, the JDC as it is now, which is a, it's part of the PDC's stepping stone, if you like. You, you go on there as a kid and you build up and go through the ranking system. Um, he said to me, I'm thinking about branching out from, I think he was in, Bristol or Worcester way somewhere uh, come and have a look see what you think I'm thinking about branching out but if I put Steve Brown Darts Academy in Derby they're going to say who the hell Steve Brown mm -hmm. so that's how that came about would you like take it on and just put your name to it and to be honest with the academy a lot of the work or most of the work is done by Debbie and Gaz Gaz my stepson um, they, they run it really my name's on it but I go down there quite often as, as you know whenever the calendar lets me it's been going for six years it's it's uh, still as popular as ever if not it, it gets more popular as the years go on because you know the game is getting bigger and bigger uh we've got a few good lads who are probably going to develop well we've got a few now that are too old for the academy but they've gone on to play for teams and play a bit of super league and stuff like that so you know it's helped a few we've got one henry coates who's um he's won junior tournaments over the country and sponsored by Unicorn and you know so he's doing really well he's only 14 it's, it's incredible he's a, he's a county player for Derby he's a Derbyshire County A player which wow. is phenomenal do you get a similar sense of pride from kind of nurturing talent like that and seeing them do well to with yourself doing um, well yeah. I, I think it's well it's definitely nice of course it is I think to be honest with you it's when I was that age, there was nothing there like that. That's mm. that's one of the things that made us want to do it because when when I was sort of that age, I'd have loved for something like that to be able to go and play, you know, as a young lad. Uh, but there was nothing like that because it obviously wasn't as popular back then. Um, but when you see them develop and come through, it's like all we've done is give them a platform to come and play because they'd have. I, I, I do believe that you know some of them have got the ability that they would have found it anyway. Do you know what I mean? They'd have just played at home and and all with mates and stuff like that. But with the academy structure, it gives them a goal to try and achieve extra things really quickly. And um, and I think that's that's probably helped them along the way. But you know, I don't want to take any any credit off the, from the kids because they deserve it themselves. You know, we've just given them the platform, as I say. As a standard improved from when you were playing at, at 13, 14, is there is there more? Youngsters. Oh, definitely, definitely. Because when I was that age, I was playing against men mostly because there was there wasn't that many kids playing mm. dogs, you know. So definitely, the level's gone up because there's more players, there's more competition, there's more there's more events for them to play in. So it's the level is going to increase all the time. 
we've touched on it on a lot during this, but uh, obviously in brief. But you've you've written a book as well, haven't you? Well, you, you've got an autobiography. Yeah, well, it's it's, it's more of a um, I, w- I wouldn't say an autobiography as such because it's seven years old now. The book is uh, 2013. We we launched it, and at the time, I'd only been playing professional stuff for five years, so I haven't really got that much to write about for it to be an autobiography but so what we did was we played a, along the line of the you know the the diabetes and the blinding one eye and all that sort of thing yeah um and, and we used it as more of an inspirational account more than anything because if if somebody's got any if they're if they're up against it you know if, if they've got any adversity at all and they can look at something like that and go you know what it doesn't stop me from achieving what i want to do then we've done our job yeah you, and since 2013, you obviously spent. Was it so 2018? You was on the PDC tour. Yes. Yeah, I've been off the tour since the end of 2018. What happens when you drop off? Do you have to go through Q school to to get back on the tour? Is that yeah, that? because yeah, obviously since 2011, I think it is they introduced Q school. So everybody that wants to play puts the money in the going, and there's a table, that like a ranking table after the four or five days whatever it is the top listed players get in and get a two-year tour card that's the way it works now i think they have it with snooker as well because barry earn you see it's all the same but that's the way that's the route you'd have to take now my approach over the last couple of years to be honest um although I've, i have gone the last couple of years to q school um my main focus has been within the academy route and i've been busy with exhibitions and stuff like that so i've been I've been really fortunate that I've not had to sort of find another career or another path or anything like that. I've continued to play um, and, you know, travel in the world doing exhibitions and stuff like that. So it's been really nice in that sense because when you're in the professional game, you you get paid on how well you do. You know, you have to go deep into tournaments to pick big money up and things like that. So it's it's the same as everything, really. Whereas... With an exhibition, you get an appearance fee. You turn up, you play some darts, you have a laugh and a joke with everyone. You try and give a few tips out and stuff like that, and you get paid anyway. So it's it's good to do that too. You know, I'd like to say I'd like to think that I've still got maybe another uh, good crack at it. Um, the the commitment and focus does has, has not been as intense as it has previously because I've not needed to. I've not had to get ready for a big tournament like the world match plays on now. I'd have been on the board for the last six, seven weeks, solid, getting ready for that. You know, I played in the match play seven times, so I know what it's like in the build-up to these big things and, and how you have to prepare and, you know, you get your, your crap head on. Debbie will tell you she, she's loved it the last couple of years because normally in the build-up to a tournament, I've been unbearable to live with, apparently, because I'm just so snappy and mardy and, you know, because it's just the pressure of the situation and it's like letting some steam off, I'm shouting at her and it's not, it's obviously not ideal, but, um, but yeah, you know, it's it's what it is, but like I say, I've, I've had a blast over the last couple of years still travelling and until the pandemic, my diary was still full, so I'm hopefully going to fill it again. Could you pick a career highlight? career highlight well, I've had a few well, you have you have ups and downs you know and unless you're winning everything you're going to have more downs than ups I suppose but career highlight within a professional game I would say um, 
Uh, let me think. Well, I've, I've done a Pro Tour double header, which is you know only been achieved by I think ten or eleven different players. Taylor's done it numerous times, and Gerwin's done it. Uh, Gary Anderson's. But what it is is you have two tournaments on a weekend, and if you win both, you've done a double header. And I've done that once uh, in Canada ten years ago, nine years ago. I won the final of the first one, beat Van Gerwen in the final, by the way. And then the following day, I lost in the final, lost to Colin Lloyd in the final. So if I'd have won that, I'd have done a double header twice. A double, double header? Yeah. So, but they're, they're really special because it is so, I was talking about it today. Um, they're so um, tough on the mind, you know, because obviously you've got mentally strong, you have to be to play the game. But, um, you know, it just, you're absolutely shattered. It, it's head banging. You know, because of all your focus and de- determination, gives you a headache when you when you've been playing all day, and then have to have to replicate that the following day is uh, is pretty special. So I think that'd have to be up there. I think being able to do the book is another good thing because it, you know, obviously, as long as it helps somebody along the way and the academy. So there's a few highlights rather than just a one-off thing. Five TV quarterfinals. It's not nothing to be, you know, nothing to be sniffed at. So I've had a few few you know, big things, but, you know, it'd be nice to say, you know, I, I won one of the majors, that'd be lovely, but if everyone did that, everyone can't do that, it's impossible, you know, so if, if that was your object, when you start out, I want to be world champion or I want to win a big TV tournament, you're going to be very disappointed because there's only a few people that have ever done it. Yeah, and just finally, I know that the World Match plays on at the minute, I've seen some of it, and you mentioned about it's it's not as, as stressful and, and everything for you at the minute, but... You must sit at home and think, oh, there must be a part of it going, I wish I was yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, to be, to be honest with you, it, it, it might sound up, but it bores me to watch it. You know, like when you're just watching it on TV. I don't really watch a lot. I watch yeah. it when my pals are playing or whatever, but most of it I don't bother because I know, you know, when you, I suppose when you've been there, you sort of, you, you appreciate what you're doing at the time, but when you have and you look back, you think, why do people love this so much because <laughs> it's boring but but yeah of course I think whenever the big stuff well, every time the world championship comes around I still get the butterflies because it's just a natural you know you hear the music and stuff and you see the path up to Ali Pali it's great it does give you that bit of a kick so so that's uh, I guess that's a target to be going at I think One going more forward words. yeah go, going forward I think that's something to, to maybe look at building on you know Jamie, really, really interesting chat. It's one I wanted to do for a while and, and, and thank you very much for, for doing that. I really appreciate your time. No worries, no worries. Thanks a lot. See you soon. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you.